Welcome to God's Truth. This is Dr. D. Todd Harrison as we proclaim and testify the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all the world. We welcome you joining us this uh, glorious uh, day, another glorious day that the Lord God has created for us to worship him, to come unto him, to uh, study his word, to learn more about him and his glorious gospel plan that he has for each one of us. This week we're looking at Amos and Obadiah. These are the two of the uh, among the pro, so-called prophetic books, uh, but yet, nevertheless, very important scriptures once again as they continue to testify of Jesus Christ. And of that same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He rose from the dead. He lives. He's alive. He is our Lord, our God, our King, our Redeemer, our Savior, our all. Let's join today as we study his glorious word. Let's look today, we'll begin with Amos, and we'll look at uh, Amos uh, chapter 1. Now, chapter 1 is a, a series of, uh, he goes on kind of a diatribe here, and uh, and they go through and they condemn Syria. Not just, remember, we've uh, now we're, again, we're back in time. This is before Assyria came and destroyed Israel, and before the Babylonians have destroyed the kingdom of Judah in the south. Uh, and so the prophets have been testifying and uh, prophesying that if the people don't repent, Assyria is going to come, destroy their own kingdom. Babylon is going to come, destroy the kingdom of Judah. Yet the, the people continue to refuse to uh, obey God. Uh, they continue to reject his will and his word from in his commandments. And uh, But it's not just them. It's not just them, right? So the uh, first chapter here of uh, Amos uh, God commands him to preach against the other nations too. He's not just going to hold Israel and Judah responsible, but in chapter one, the uh, uh, Lord's judgments will come upon Syria and the Philistines and Tyre and Edom and uh, Ammon. And uh, so he testifies against their sins, their wickedness, and uh, prophesied of their uh, coming destruction. And uh, chapter two, uh, he now goes against Moab and Judah and Israel. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. Ko amar Adonai, thus saith the Lord, uh, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. We'd seen in a previous lesson this year where God finally got to the point. He said, look, even if you people now repent, I've given you your opportunity. I've given you multiple chances. Even now, if you were to turn and repent to me, it is too late. It is too late. You will be destroyed, right? So there comes a point in in uh, in your covenant with God that you break it enough times, it no longer matters whether you repent. It's too late. You had your chance. It's too late. You're going to suffer the consequences. You're going to suffer the judgments of a just God, right? And so here he's saying, for three and for four transgressions of Judah, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to go err after the after that which their fathers have walked, which was what preaching false gods and preaching preaching false worship of a God that was not a real God a God that did not truly exist, in this case, Baal and his lovely bride, Asherah. But we, we keep looking at the modern-day parallel to, to today, in today's society, right? 
you worship these false, this false god of the false creeds of heretical uh, Christianity. Uh, that is not God. That is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. You might as well be worshiping Baal or Asherah or any other name, but any false god, right? And they're by teaching these lies, they cause the people to err. They cause them to worship a false god, a, a god without body parts or passions, a god that that uh, in order to believe in it, you have to reject the entire uh, Bible, uh, including glorious passages such as Luke 24, where Jesus Christ appeared to the apostles, handle me and see for a spirit does not have a body of flesh and bones as you see that I had. Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones. Therefore, the, to believe in a false creed that he has no body parts or passions is, com is complete heretical nonsense. That is blasphemous. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ and God the Father, when they appeared to Joseph Smith, after 18 year, 1,800 years, nearly 2,000 years being silent in the heavens, what, what's their message? What was their message? We do a good job as a church in telling about the event of the first vision, but we fell miserably in, te in telling the world the details of what actually happened in that first vision, what the message was of the of the first vision. Jesus Christ did not appear after 2,000 years being silent in heavens and say, woe unto the liars, woe unto the adulterers, woe unto the fornicators, woe unto the thieves, woe unto the robbers. No, what did he do? Join none of these false religions, none of these false churches. Their pastors are corrupt. Their, their, their creeds are an abomination in my eyes. That was the most important message. In 2,000 years, in 2,000 years, Jesus Christ had been silent from the heavens. He had not spoken to man. He had not called a prophet or apostle upon the earth. After 2,000 years, what does he say? He finally appears from the heavens. He finally appears to a new prophet. And what is his message? Their creeds are an abomination in my eyes. When we fail to teach that, glorious message of the first vision, we failed to honor God. That was the most important message that the earth had received in 2,000 years to know that these false creeds of a false apostate Christianity were an abomination to God. We need to, instead, what do we do in the church? We shy away from that. A lot of people shy away. They're scared. Oh, we might hurt somebody's feelings by teaching them the truth and rescuing them from the error that they taught to their fathers, as Amos is talking about here, right? Don't be, af don't be afraid to teach somebody the truth of God. Don't be afraid to teach people the most important message that God declared in 2,000 years to humanity. That should be first and foremost what we preach right away. In the early 1800s, when the missionaries started going out throughout the world, they had tremendous success. They were baptizing thousands of people. They were getting people to give up their sacrifice their whole life to come join the saints, to travel months on a boat across the ocean. Why? Because the missionaries were not afraid to teach them the truth. The missionaries told them, these false creeds that your church is worshiping are false. They're an abomination in God's eyes. You need to repent. You need to forsake those. You need to come to the true God of the Bible.
And that's what they did. But in the, in the recent years of the church, baptism going way down because we don't tell the people the truth. We don't tell. We preach the event. Oh, well, God and Jesus appeared to Joseph Smith in his first vision. Well, that's good. But what was the message? What was it that God told Joseph Smith, right? After 2,000 years of silence, 2,000 years with no revelation from God to man, what was it that God told him? Their pastors are corrupt and their creeds are an abomination to my sight. You need to teach the people the truth. You teach the people the truth, they come unto the Lord. They come unto the Lord and they come in record numbers. We in our own ministry here online in the last three years, we've now what seen thousands upon thousands of people come into Jesus Christ for the first time. Reach out to the missionaries of the church. Why? Because we've continued to preach the word of God. We continue to teach God's truth. We don't shy away from God's truth. We teach it with purity, with, with, with purity and with, with accuracy and in plain terms so that nobody can deny it. That's why it's been so successful. That is why God continues to bless this ministry to reach millions upon millions, more than 43 million people now with the message of God's truth. And that's what we continue to do. And uh, that's what Amos is talking about here, right? It says here, their lies caused them to err and worship false gods after the which their fathers walked. And we, for 2,000 years, they worshiped this false creed. And then the next generation, their children worshiped the false creed and their children the false creed on and on for 2,000 years. Later, we're going to see Amos prophesied of this, that there would be a famine of hearing the word of God. Okay, so now we continue on with um, verse 5. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Indeed happened, 588 B.C. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel. Remember, the kingdom of Israel is a separate country in the north, led by the great tribe of Ephraim, and, and these are the ten tribes. And for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. They've had their chances. It's over. Even they tried to do deathbed repentance. It's over. It doesn't matter. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid. The father and son are having sex with the same woman to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes, laid the pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God, right? They, I should be their God, Jehovah. They were not worshiping me. They're worshiping their own God in the house of their God, in the temples of their God, in the creeds, these, in the, which is the fashioned in their own God, right? Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars. Now remember this. We talked about this earlier, right? These uh, Amorites and the people that were in the land of Canaan were the descendants of the giants. Remember, the giants come from the angels of God that came down from the, you know, the 200 on Mount Hermon. And they had sex with the daughters of men in uh, Genesis chapter 6. They produced these giants on the land. Uh, you know, Goliath was one of these descendants of these uh, these giants. Og 
the king of Bashan. He was one of these, had a big, long bed we looked at. Uh, you know, they say, here he said, remember the, the Israelites, when the spies went into the land, right, to spy out the land of Canaan when they were living in the wilderness for 40 years, said, well, Moses, we can't defend, we can't defeat them. We're like little grasshoppers in their sight and they're so tall. Well, here, here he's saying how, the, you know, they were the size of, of cedar trees, right? So, but nevertheless, I got, even though they were giants in the land, even though they were the height of a cedar tree, I cut them down for you. You were my people. I was trying to make a covenant with you, you know, to, you to be my people. Therefore, it doesn't matter if giants are in your life or giants or obstacles come before you. I got them with you. I will cut them down. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. And I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the giants, the land of the Amorites. And I raised up of your sons to be prophets. Nevi'im, and of your young man for Nazarites, is it not even thus? O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. Uh, let's look now at chapter 3, <clears throat> and we'll look at verse 1 through 2. Uh, well, let's look with verse 1, I guess, yeah, let's look. Chapter 3, verse, yeah, 1 through 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's one of the troubles, becoming a covenant person of God. You become a covenant person of God, he stands ready to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you cannot uh, handle, right? But you turn your back against God after making covenants with him, you will be sorely punished. You will be punished more than those who never accepted God in their lives. Right? Let's move now to verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets, right? What a powerful verse of scripture this is. God does not take action in this world uh, without first revealing his, his plans to his prophets. Then he'll act on them. Then he'll do it. He'll, he'll never destroy a people without uh, giving it, uh, uh, without revealing it first to the prophets that if the people don't repent, he'll destroy them. Now, however, the prophets need to be willing to listen to his his will, right? Don't close off their minds and, and listen to what he wants and what he wants to speak. You know, they basically learn to hear him, right? The prophets need to open their minds and their hearts and, and listen to him and not shut him off when he's trying to speak to you uh, and then start to go off your own opinions and your own worldly experience and worldly uh, uh, wisdom, right? Okay, so surely the Lord God will do nothing until he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. 13 through 14. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Now remember, Bethel was the place, it means house of God. Now remember, it was the place where Jacob was sleeping overnight, and he had the vision of God, the 
you know, they had this sort of portal thing open up, right? The, the gate between heaven and earth. And he, he describes it as some kind of ladder based on, you know, limited vocabulary that he had. But, you know, he's seeing the portal going back and forth between heaven and earth, describing it as a ladder and God on it and, and so forth. So he wakes up, you know, from his vision, this dream that he had, and he names this place Bethel, the house of God. Well, they it was a sacred place to, dedicated to Jehovah for hundreds of years, right? But now these people have corrupted it. They've built a temple of Baal in the same place where it was the holy ground where Jacob had seen God in, in this uh, in this portal between heaven and earth, right? So, uh, therefore, I will visit the altars of Bethel, not altars dedicated to Jehovah, but these altars dedicated to Baal in the place of where they should be worshiping Jehovah, and they shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the house of ivory shall perish, and the gray house shall have an end, saith the Lord. Okay, let's move now to chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Hear this word, ye cows of Bashan. <laughs> Isn't it great, right? How would you, you know, it's bad enough to be called names, you know, by by fellow uh, human beings on the earth. But imagine you become so wicked that God's now calling you a cow, right? Even God's calling you names, right? Because he's so, he's so angry with your attitude and with your rebellion against him and his covenant. Here, hear this word, ye cows of Bashan, that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor. He hates people who oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. Literally fulfilled to the letter. When the Assyrians came and took off the people, the, uh, the people of the Israel, what did they do? They put hooks in their nose with the chain going to the person behind them. Hook in their nose on and on through these lines. Literally fulfilled to the very letter here of the prophecy. Let's look at 7 through 13. And also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city, and I caused it not to rain upon another city to show that I am the Lord God. I am over the storms of the of the earth. I am over the rains. I can cause it to rain or not rain. I can rain on one city, skip another city, rain on the other side. And yet. You did not repent. In verse 8, so two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water. They were not satisfied. Yet have they not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them, yet have that ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses and I made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. And yet you did not return unto me even in that situation. I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and ye were as a firebrand plucked up out of the burning. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, Prepare 
to meet thy God, O Israel. Wow, but powerful, powerful, right? I don't know. I don't know if I know any more powerful verse of scripture than that, right? He's going to destroy you as the way he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, prepare to meet your God. People don't think about that enough, right? They think they can continue to rebel against God, live however they want, do whatever they want, choose to keep this commandment or refuse, you know, refuse the other commandment, just do whatever they want. They don't know that one day they are going to die. They are going to prepare to meet your God, oh mankind. You will one day face God face to face and have, be held accountable for the way you kept his covenants or led people astray, led people into sin. You will be held accountable. Prepare to meet your God. I don't know anything more powerful than that verse of scripture right there. He says here in verse 13, For lo, he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declares unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high place of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. That's the one you need to prepare to meet. That's the one you're going to be held accountable to when you die. Okay, now we move to chapter 5 and look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek me and ye shall live. Yet I hold hope for you. I hold my arms still out for you, my love, my mercy, my forgiveness. Just come unto me, right? But you won't do it. You won't do it. Just like you said, you won't do it. No matter what I do, I can curse you with all kinds of things. I can bring all kinds of famines and plagues upon you, and yet you will continue to refuse to come unto me. He says, um, verse, uh, now we move to verse 11 through 15. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, he really hates that, and ye take from him burdens of wheat. Ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. Oh, boy, the wicked will not get away with what they're doing. They may get rich off of it. They may even have a nice life all the way till their death. They may live a rich life based on all the things they did to the poor and, and all these things. There comes a day of reckoning. That is it. You die. It's over. You're not going to inherit your mansions. You're not going to inherit your palaces. You're not inheriting all these things and forever and ever and ever in the eternities to come, right? He's, like he says here, he's going to take it. You know, from them, they uh, may have built nice palaces. They will not dwell in them for eternity. Even if they manage to make it 80, 90 years here on the earth, that's it, right? That's it. That's the end of it. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time. For it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. You want God with you? You got to choose the good and refuse the evil. Hate the evil. He wants you to hate it. Not just not do it. And they just don't do evil. He wants you to actually hate evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. 
It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Judah, mainly through Ephraim and Manasseh, which many members of the church, the predominant tribes currently that the members of the church come from are Ephraim and Manasseh, the tribe of Joseph. Eighteen through twenty-two. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord! Oh, there's so many people that oh, I wish that God would come, as it's a good thing, and and everything because he he loves, right? <laughs> we talk about this for several weeks. We've been prompted by by God to speak about this subject, right? You know, the false god they preach it today in today's society. Oh, he just loves, loves, loves. He loves this abomination. He loves this wickedness. This group that's committing gross uh, uh, whoredoms and gross uh, immorality and doing abominable practices, sinning against both nature and God's commandments. Oh, God just loves, loves, loves. But yet it's interesting how many times we keep seeing that God's, that the Bible says God hates those people. God hates those acts. God hates, 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 hates. So everything that society is going to, oh, God loves, loves, loves. So here he's, bash, he's going to bash those people again here, right? He says, woe to those who who, who de desire the day of the Lord. Think, oh, it's going to be wonderful when Jesus comes back. <laughs> to what end is it for you? The day of the Lord to you is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. You think you 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 and your abominations and your gross immorality, you think that that is going to be a great day when Jesus comes back. No, he's saying it's as though if you were to run from a, from a lion, a bear's going to meet you and tear you into pieces. Or you went into a house thinking you're going to relax in a house and you're going to put your hand on a wall and a serpent's going to bite you, right? It's not. A, it's the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Great for the righteous, dreadful for the wicked, as they shall be severely punished. We get all kinds of graphic de depictions of this with Jesus Christ even saying he's going to be riding on a horse, trampling them, you know, over with his horse, riding them down, you know, smashing them to pieces. We've seen scriptures with Christ is going to take a sword and cut off their heads. All kinds of violent descriptions of what's going to happen to these people. So, Woe unto those of you <laughs> that desired the day of the Lord, right? It's going to be a day of darkness for you. It's going to be horrible. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. There's going to be absolutely nothing good about it. For the wicked, the day of the Lord, there's nothing good here. It's all violence. It's all destruction. All, uh, you know, really horrible stuff. For the great, For the good ones of the earth, the righteous, those who kept the covenants with God, it will be a great and glorious day. Here we go, 21. Oop. But he loves, loves, loves. Here we go. How, how many times? We should have been counting up maybe this year. How many times God says he hates wickedness? He hates wicked people. It's a, it's a innumerable number. Here we go again, 21. I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Even you, some of you pretend you go to these false uh, churches, you know, and you, as he said in the first vision, with your lips, you say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He hates 
those congregations. He hates those churches. He hates it when you go to those churches or those places of worship. I despise your feast days when you go to the church. I, dis I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. And uh, let's see, the next one says, take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, right? Even you worship and you sing religious songs in these false places of worship. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Okay, moving now on to uh, uh, chapter six, verse 14. But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel. This will be the kingdom of Assyria, saith the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath unto the river in the wilderness, showing how much destruction Assyria will destroy the kingdom of Israel. Chapter 7, verse 12 through 17. Also Amaziah, here we go, this is a good one. Also, Amaziah said unto Amos, O seer, go away. <laughs> you keep prophesying that the Syrians are going to come destroy us. We don't like it. We don't like the words of the prophets because they testify against our sins, our wickedness. They tell us we have to repent, that we have to acknowledge that God is God and the creator of this earth, that he is our judge. Oh, seer, go flee away into the land of Judah. <laughs> We're in the northern kingdom of Israel. Just go off to the kingdom of Judah. Go, go preach with the, with the Jews instead of us Ephraimites. And there eat bread and prophesy there. <laughs> but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel because it's in the kingdom of Israel. For it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos. It's this powerful, not politically correct. He's not, blame, he's not going to be politically correct here. He doesn't care what, what the king thinks. He's going to teach the truth of God. It's up to the king then whether he's going to go away offended or whether he's going to accept Jesus Christ into his heart and into his life and change his life around. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I, I was not a prophet. I'm not a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Not my opinion. Not my opinion. Not, not Amos's opinion. Hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife, shall be a harlot in the city. We saw this last week with Hosea, right? He was commanded to go marry a, marry a prostitute, right? So here he's threatening the king that his wife is going to end up being a harlot, be a prostitute in the city. And thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity, forth of his land. Powerful, powerful when you're a prophet and you listen to what God 
wants to speak through you and you deliver that message, the message is always powerful, sharp, as it talked about last week, you know, what they say, I can't remember exactly the words that they were using, right, last week in Hosea, and but that, you know, cuts some pieces, cuts the people to pieces through the word of God, and, you know, it's violent, again, the words, when you speak it, it's direct, it's forceful, it's powerful, you, you make a decision. Are you for God or are you against him? Here, Amaziah, are you for God or are you against him? He has to make a decision now one way or the other. No neutrality. No, well, I'll kind of go along. No, either for or against. And then he says, so that ends the uh, chapter 7. Uh, now let's move on to chapter 8. And we get the uh, what we were talking about earlier, the famine of the word of God in the land. Chapter 8, there's Amos prophesying of the uh, apostasy. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread that you're used to from time to time, nor a thirst for water, which you've experienced from time to time. But this famine will be of hearing the words of the Lord. For 2,000 years, the true words of God are going to be taken from the earth. There will be a great famine of hearing the word of God. And they shall wander from sea to sea. And from north even to the east, they shall go be a Catholic or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Calvinist or all these false religions. He says from north to even the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And they shall not find it because the true gospel of Jesus Christ is going to go from the earth for nearly 2,000 years. It will not be upon the earth. There would be people that with their lips, as God said, would honor him, Jesus, Jesus. But their hearts were far from him. Their pastors were corrupt and taught abominable things. All right. So there was this great famine in the earth for nearly 2,000 years of hearing the word of the Lord. But it's now, luckily, it's been restored. We bless it to live in the day in which the true word of God is once again upon the earth. We should bow down and thank God every day of our lives to live in this day and time when the word of God, the true word of God, God's truth is upon the earth. 2,000 years, nobody had that opportunity, right? Okay, now moving to chapter 9. We'll look at 8 through 10. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. They'll leave a remnant. They're going to play a powerful part in the restoration of the gospel in the latter days and in preparing Jesus, that the earth for Jesus to Christ to come back to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings during his 1,000-year millennium. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. At that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. I, he brought back the temples. They now dot the earth and many nations around the earth. And I will build it up as in the days of old. Okay, now let's look at 14 through 15. 
And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. When the Romans came in in the 70, they mainly banned the Jewish people from Jerusalem. But then in the final revolt, in the Bar Kokhba revolt between 132 and 135 AD, once that rebellion was conquered, Romans permanently banned the Jewish people from Jerusalem uh, for nearly 2,000 years until 1948, in which they've now since then been literally fulfilling prophecy, building the waste cities of the land of Israel and beginning to inhabit them, and they're planting the vineyards and they're drinking the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, the land that they had gotten, lived on before. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I've given unto them, saith the Lord thy God. So there'll be no more Assyrians that are going to come lead away the, the Jewish nation. There'll be no more Babylonians that will come and take the Jewish nation off to Babylon or any other country, right? No, no other country is going to come and take the Jewish people elsewhere. Now that he's given them the state of Israel in 1948, and they've been planting their vineyards and drinking their wine and building their cities up, they shall not do that anymore. You know, Christ is going to come very soon. He's going to reign from both the New Jerusalem and from the Old Jerusalem, and the Jewish people no longer have to worry. You're not going to be let captive and taken off elsewhere okay now we get this uh, nice little book Obadiah uh, you know and uh, it's probably the shortest book here in the Old Testament and it's interesting right because how many scriptures we've looked at that the first shall be last and the last first and so forth you know perhaps some of these prophets where you, you know, when they're one or two pages only for their whole book maybe that's all all that we have right we've looked many times before that there's a lot of lost scripture we don't have access too, right? So maybe one day we'll get a much larger book at Obadiah. Maybe one day we'll find out that Obadiah wrote the largest book of scripture, right? But for now, Obadiah has just got this, you know, good, a little bit more than a page here uh, in the scripture. So but let's look at what uh, Obadiah has to say. Uh, Obadiah and uh, verse 12 through 15. But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So he's prophesying against Edom. They were, uh, you know, distant relatives of the Jewish people. They should have tried to help the Jewish people when the Babylonians came. And, the, you know, but they didn't do that, right? And in fact, it said that they'd rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. They were... Uh, happy that Judah had been destroyed. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, yet thou should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. When they were struggling, you came in and you know took the fruit of the land and, and, and you know did all these things. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape, right? You should have helped them escape. Neither should thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. 
just as you did not allow the Jewish people to escape, just as you did not help them escape when their enemies came. So I, the Lord God, will not allow you to escape. You will face your judgment. You will face the consequences of your sins. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the land of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, uh, uh, shall possess the cities of the south. And in the last days, saviors shall stand upon Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's, right? So here we get this great prophecy of temple work in the last days of those who are willing to sacrifice their time and their efforts to go forward to the temple, to be baptized by proxy on behalf of those who did not have the opportunity to receive a true baptism that was by his authorized servants upon the earth. Uh, they are basically saviors to the people they do the temple work for. They shall stand as saviors on Mount Zion when Jesus Christ comes back. And not only that, but they shall judge the Mount of Esau, right? They're going to be somehow involved in the judgment of mankind as they've sacrificed their lives and time to perform the temple work for those who did not have the opportunity to participate in the ordinances of the gospel. So we get this great reference here to Latter-day Temple work in Obadiah. So there's still some good things here. In this short uh, page of scripture, we see that in the New Testament with the book of Jude. Uh, which we'll get to next year in the New Testament. Here you got Jude, one of the brothers of Jesus Christ. And he, while his is only a page or so also, there's so much great doctrine uh, in there about the apostasy, the restoration, about the, um, you know, quoting even the book of Enoch and, you know, and, and what happens in the latter days. And there's a lot of great stuff there in one page. So just because sometimes you come across a book of scripture that's, you know, you think is a short book of scripture, there may, it may be loaded with a lot of great things. So what a great lesson once again this has been today. And we talked to many times here about the making decisions for God. Are you for him or are you against him? Do you want to be blessed or do you want to be cursed, right? And so this opportunity is, is there, right? And God always gives this opportunity, always welcomes you to come unto him to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord God, Savior, to exercise your faith in him, to repent of your sins, to be cleansed, be cleansed, to have your sins blotted out from the records of heaven, to get baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God so that God will honor and accept it in heaven, that it will actually count and do something for you and, and get you set on the right path leading back to our Heavenly Father's presence. For those of you who have not yet received 
baptism by the authorized servants of God. We'll put in the description of this video a link. You just need to click on that link, contact the great missionaries of the church, let them know you're re ready and willing to take upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ, and they will help you get baptized. He'll, he'll pour out his spirit upon you. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and instruction and guidance from the Holy Ghost the rest of your life and walking back on the narrow path of God that leads back to his presence. I can't think of any greater blessings you can have in this life than that. And I testify that how true these things are. They're true. They're glorious. They are God's truth. And in closing, we ask God to bless you, to bless you in everything you need at this time, to be joyful, happy, and successful, and to fill God's love with you, to know that you are a child of the Most High God, that he loves you, and delights to honor those who honor him and do their best to keep his covenants. Of him we testify to the world this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.